Welcome everybody to Learn With Lowell. Today we're joined with Colin Ewald, Assistant Professor at the ETH of Zurich and founder of the Swiss Society of Aging Research. Uh, we have a, a number of really great things we're gonna get into today. It's gonna be about longevity, health span, obviously Colin's work. Colin, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Uh, thanks for having me. Yeah, and I believe you're in Switzerland, which makes sense. Yes, I'm, I'm based in, in, in Zurich. Uh, it's, you know, all the stereotypes, it's, it's beautiful here. Um, I'm originally from Switzerland. I was always born in Switzerland. Mm. And when I was younger, I thought it's super boring. So <laughs> that's why I did my PhD in New York, much more exciting there. Mm. And then I went on to Boston and, uh, now I'm back in Zurich. So I miss the big cities, but, uh, yeah. Did, does Zurich, is Zurich the one with Einstein's clock that helped him with relativity or is that a different Zurich? You asked me something there. <laughs> so if someone knows, I'm, I'm I was reading uh, Walter Isaacson's book on Einstein, and yeah. I think I think Zurich is where he, there's like a clock, and he thought of relative. There's a clock and then a, a train that helped him spark that. But the uh, exactly, what, but I don't remember was it Bern or was it Zurich. So that's why it's like yeah. Hmm. But, I yeah, feel like it was sure. um, yeah. Anyone who knows this definitively, please let us know in the comments. But so. Uh, I was uh, just starting with your, your, your research. Um, can you define for us what an extra, an extracellular matrix is just for people listening in? I've, I've been told that sometimes I just dive in and people are like, well, can you just define these terms and then we can learn about them. So what is an extracellular matrix? And then we can uh, discuss how it relates to your work. Perfect. So, you know, cell and organs, they are surrounded by, by proteins and those proteins form like a meshwork that hold everything together. And that's the extracellular matrix. So each cell produces its own extracellular matrix, each organ, right? So may, it makes the proteins that secrete it, they're outside and those proteins come together, like some form like a fishnet and then form around it. And it's actually, there's a lot of things going on. It's pretty crowded. You can think of an information highway. So there are, mm. you know, hormones going through or saline going through, but also it's important for the stability of, of the cells and also for, for the physical properties. So shock is absorbed there, right? You know, and it holds things together. And that's why it's also called the connective tissue. Right. And then, uh, we're, we're, we're talking about pretty microscopic things. How do you measure them when you're doing your research? Like what, what type of, uh, weights and measures do you have to account for just to, to, to do the research that you're doing on the, the animal that we're going to talk about in a minute. Yeah. So, you know, if you want to look at the composition of the matrix, so which, which proteins are in there, we use a technique called uh, proteomics, which mm. uh, tells you just what kind of proteins there are. And if you want to look at um, the stiffness of the, of the matrix itself, you can do this with electron microscope. You can pinch down and see like how much the intention you can get. Um, we also use reporters that are proteins that have some fluorophores tagged with it. So we, we, we can see them with the microscope and then we can also tell how far they are apart, right? So mm. once we stretch a tissue and organ, we can see those reporters being close together or further apart, right? So that gives an idea of, of the dynamics. And so um, that's how we uh, look at, at, at the matrix itself. Do you, this is like a meta question. I, I'm always curious with research. Do we have the tools to research it as fully as you'd want? There's an element of like, 
you know, the Einsteinian imagination when you're thinking about how these systems can work together. And then you're limited by the tools to some extent, I, I feel, and, and doing research sometimes. But when you imagine what you want to be researching or what you want to find out, do do we have the tools to allow you to, to delve as deeply as you want to achieve your outcomes? Or do we still need to develop tools to make it easier for you to do your research? More, or yeah, uh, more effective, yeah. Of course, you don't have all the tools you want, right? Yeah. So usually, um, there's one saying from Sidney Prenner, which I really like, right? Which basically, you know, progress in science depends on, on new methods, right? That gives you new ideas, the new concepts, and then new, making new discovery. And he said mm. probably in that order. So basically, the you know the better the the methods or the technique you have, the better you can you know come up with new ideas because you know nature is so exciting. I tell you one problem we are facing at the moment. We uh, also look at the cross-linking in in the matrix between collagens, which is very important during aging or diseases like diabetes. And I wish we could see those cross-links right directly. That would make the, the our life much easier. It's always indirect, right? And so if we would have the direct detection system for that one, it would be would be perfect actually. Hmm. Is it are there groups or research projects out there looking to uh, give you that fidelity? Is there anyone out there that you know that is working on giving you that ability? Or is that yeah, is there is there anyone alive yeah. working on that to, to give you that? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, there's a lab in Yale that um, tries to make antibodies to specific mm. parts of these cross-linking things. So with the antibodies, you could like, it's one way of detecting it. And then the other people that work more on the mechanical sides and trying to figure out, you know, uh, the, in microscopy and other things to really see like those changes. Um, so, so yeah, the efforts being done, but I think only a few, there could be more, I would say. Mm. Yeah. And if, if anyone, you know, I'm going to keep saying this, but if anyone has any, you know, you never know what people know. That's the cool thing. Uh, there might be someone out there who's like, oh, we've been working on this in our lab, you know, UW Madison or something. And we just don't talk about it. But for for the extracellular matrix, how does it relate to aging? So how do we make the connection between the matrix, aging and health span? Yeah, that, that's the big question we also uh, addressed and tried to look at. So so I would start. Um, I, I'm going to start the way I stumbled into it because I was not working on the extra matrix. So I was looking at uh, interventions that increase the lifespan in a tiny a model organism called T. elegans. And there, what came out in gene expression profiling was actually that they upregulate collagen extra matrix proteins. And at, at that time, it didn't make any sense. Why, why would this happen at all, right? And it took quite some research to stumble in there. So basically what I found is that these upregulations or these things for the extra matrix are required for longevity and also sufficient. And so if something is required and sufficient, that means there must be a mechanism, right? And then the question, the next question that came is like, why exactly, why would, you know, this intervention actually start to repair the extracellular matrix? And, and for that, I have to show you what, what's going wrong during aging. And so I'm trying to do this. I'm going to share my screen real quick because I've, mm -hmm. it's easier for me um, to visualize yeah. it a little bit. Uh, oh, and everyone the, listening in, let us let us know if you like this. We're trying something new today. We're actually going to look at a paper while discussing it. So uh, for visual people and for people listening, in, we'll describe it and stuff. But uh, just let us know if you like this experiment because we're, we're, we're both flying by the super pants on this one. But it looks good so far. 
Okay. Do you see my screen? Yeah. Yes. Okay. So um, I tried to conceptualize this uh, with with this figure here. So that's one mm -hmm. of the recent papers. Oops, that didn't help much. <laughs> that <laughs> didn't the help at all. <laughs> <laughs> so well, we can see it. From the journal. Okay. Yeah. So so the idea is, as I mentioned, every cell makes their external matrix. So so this should depict mm -hmm. a cell. So what you see is a cell. You see a cell nucleus, and you know those the, the cell you know transcribes the the collagen gene. It's synthesized. It's secreted, it's laid in a matrix, right? And mm. it's integrated. So it forms the matrix and that, that's the function of a collagen itself. Now, if there's something goes wrong in the matrix, then what needs to be done is actually that this part is like a fishnet you have and there's some chunk in there. So you need to cut around the fishnet, right? And get this out and degrade it. And so there are enzymes called MMP, so metalloproteinase, they do this and that's internalized. And then it starts again to synthesize new ones to repair it. And that's that's a process that works very well when you're young, but of course, like many processes, that declines during aging, right? So I give you an example. If you go into the gym and you train your biceps, your muscle will grow, but also your extra matrix has to adapt to it, right? And so there's always an interaction between what is your cellular need, what do your cells need to adapt with the extracellular matrix? Um, if you go running, for example, you Killer's tendon will adapt to the running and remodel the external matrix. Now, what we found is that this process declines during aging. And so um, these, what we've seen is these longevity interventions that they just keep this homeostasis on for longer. And, and the reason is that you know, during aging, what's going to happen is that um, trying to make this a little bigger. Like, we, I, we, I, I can see it pretty good. Like, okay. it, Okay, well, what's happening during aging is that these these blue lines here, these should be collagens. They become fragmented with aging. So these are mm. like metalloproteinases that go wild, right? So, you know, sometimes these things are dere deregulating aging. So they go wild, they're like little Pac-Mans. They start to snip up the, the matrix into the pieces. So that's called fragmentation. And at the same time, what's happening are these um, sugars that attach to collagen so there if you have extra sugar in your blood right it's you know it, somehow it, it likes to attach to these these collagens right and they are called these h glycation end products and these h glycation end products they like to crosslink so you get this crossing of collagen so basically what you get doing aging is a stiffer extra matrix so it's it's closer together but it's also mechanically weaker because certain parts of the mm. matrix are chopped off, certain parts are just cross-linked, right? So you can see the function of this surrounding is, is just impaired. What's also happening that there are proteins that start to aggregate um, in, 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 in the matrix, like chunk, right? Starts to aggregate. And we aren't sure whether that's a, that's a mechanism by the cell to safe store it or it's actually to remove it. And so, um, and that's basically the, the parts our lab has been working on and trying to tackle. And we think, and that's a hypothesis, we still are trying to show that you can fix all these problems if you maintain your extra matrix homeostasis, right? This, this, this circle, right? Usually the circle, either it goes wrong, there's too much MMP, you get too much fragmented, or there's no remodeling happening anymore. And then have these H-dependent sugars are added that start to, that start to cross-link. And... Um, and so, yeah, that's that's the uh, what I wanted to say in a nutshell. So that's why it was mm. easier just to to show you the the graphic to get some visual representation.
No, it was, it was actually quite nice. I like that. I'm going to definitely see about adding that in the future because I can, it is easier to, to visualize things, at least for me. Some people are, uh, they have uh, different uh, reasoning skills, but um, are, to what extent is the, this process is sometimes when people, as they age, they, they kind of get set in their ways and they don't, and they're not exercising as much. It, how much is that, that component versus like the chemical changes that you can't rebound from? You know, because I, I hear that when people exercise as they age, they can get some strength back. But if we're talking cellular, maybe it, it's not something that really changes. Um, well, <clears throat> let me let me see. This is a chicken and egg question, right? Can yeah. We, what's the cost and consequence? Mm -hmm. Let me say it this way. So one part of the aging of the matrix. So there are certain collagens that are made once, secreted, and then if there are no cells around it, they stay there forever. So the half-life time is 114 years, for example, right? And those mm -hmm. ones can accumulate all those those damage, especially these, these sugar addicts, right? These glycation end products. And, and and then that part you could think of is like like if you have a plastic or 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 rubber, like a bucket or a rubber band, right? For, let's take a rubber band, right? So if there's too much sunlight and, and there's some chemical aging with it, it gets brittle with time and then it cannot mm. hold the forces anymore. And that that's one part that's that's definitely happening, right? And and basically uh, it's unclear how to repair that because the cell is not doing the job. For that, you would need these these cross-link breakers or something something out there that could remove that in, in a sense or make this more useful if you cannot replace it. The other part is with the cell, right? The cell can replace uh, you know the extracellular matrix. And so if if there's if it's a tissue there are cells around, it's technically possible. But then again, doing aging, those cells not become lazy, but you know they don't function as good as mm -hmm. anymore. Some of them become senescent cells, right? They um, secrete lots of factors and immune response and, and things go wrong there again. And, and that also leads to changes in, in the extracellular matrix itself, right? Um, however, if you could rejuvenate the cells, you would also rejuvenate the extracellular matrix. And uh, we see this indirectly, so not our group, but other groups. When I look at these papers done for the rejuvenation with the Yamanaka factors. So these are these, uh, you know, four factors you can give the cell and it reprograms. The epigenetic resets their age, right? It makes them non younger. And one thing that's happening is actually what you see on the transcription profile. You see this collagen is expressed. So what I would assume, and that's just, again, speculation or hypothesis, that with rejuvenating the cell, you would also rejuvenate the exome matrix. It would kickstart that program again to make a younger exome matrix. Mm -hmm. Is it your intention to, for, for to, to, how, how do you intend to do the rejuvenation? Like, what's the, what's the process you're going to go down? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So the the process we go down is actually a couple of really cool observations. Um, if you if you take a tissue and mm -hmm. you decellarize it, so meaning that you take, you know, get rid of all the cells that are in there, you still have uh, the the framework, the exocellular yeah. matrix. Like sorry, yeah. our culture. Yes. And so if you now put, so if you do this with an old extracellular matrix and you put young cells in there, it's think about like, you know, an end form you can buy in the store. The end form is just like, it's the, 
the scaffold you buy, right? You put the ants in there and they start to, you know, fill this whole thing up, right? So you can think about it. So again, you have the scaffold and then you put an old one and you put the uh, young cells in there. They're starting to trying to refill this and, and remodel this, but those cells stay, stay old, so then old. However, when you do the converse experiment, which is much more interesting, you take a young exomatrix and you take cells that stop proliferating. So they become senescent, right? So they, you technically say like, you know, they're close to, to death or they're not useful anymore. You put those senescent cells um, that do not proliferate anymore into a young exomatrix. Somehow the young exomatrix reprograms them again and they behave like young cells. So the interesting part is you can do this with stem cells. So stem mm -hmm. cells that lost their rejuvenation, their, their stem cell potential, so you know to regenerate the tissue, you put old ones in there, you can reprogram them. And this also works with in, even for muscle fibers. There, there have been really cool experiments done with, with uh, rats where they took muscles from an old rat, right? And put it into a young one. And these old muscles had the same strength as the young muscles in, in the other rat, right? Mm. And you can do the converse experiment, right? So they have this rejuvenation effects or or the other way around, the reprogramming effect. And the last cool evidence is also that um, you can take cancer cells and put them into an embryonic extracellular matrix. And the embryonic extracellular matrix reprograms the cancer cells to lose their tumorogenicity, which is, which is astonishing, right? And so what we are trying to tackle or think of is like, you know, what is the signal that comes from this young extra matrix, right? And so that's that's the question we are uh, trying to address at the moment to unlock. What is what is actually the, yeah, what is the permissive signal to to say like, hey, you should reprogram? Because we know we can reprogram cell, right? I mean, this is, mm -hmm. you know, again, with Yamanaka factors, right? But there's some signal coming from, from the extra matrix. And so we're trying to, to decipher um, what is that signal? When you discover the signal, will you use something like the Yamanaka factors? Or in discovering the signal, you'll see what builds the signal and then try an intervention around that system? Yeah, it would be cool to do a double therapy, right? Because, mm. <laughs> you know, with the Yamanaka factor, the one problem there is that um, you program the cell to uh, into, you know, into a stem cell like kind kind of thing, right? So you lose cell identity, and that that's one of the biggest problems, right? So you don't want to go too far yeah. because every cell has a function, right? So a skin cell should stay a skin cell, not become stem cells or or anything else. So technically, in combination, what you would have because the extracellular matrix can determine cell type, right? And mm. so the combination would be actually the ideal thing. I think one or the other is not sufficient. I think you need both. Mm. Yeah, it's interesting to the idea that maybe the matrix or the foundation is dictating like the form and function of what comes later. You know, I, I think there's a lot of, uh, I don't know what they used to call these, but there was an episode of Silicon Valley where they called them like blood boys, where like the young people would give the, their blood to old older gentlemen. That I think it was meant as more of a joke in the show, but uh, we've seen systems like that. But it's interesting if the if the structure itself has something there that can influence these types of things versus just like you know you know some higher order thing like blood or whatever. 
Yeah, so, so with so with the plot that's you know wonderful work also you know done in the field and and I just mm -hmm. think about the work of Tony V. Scorey, um with trying to figure out what are these factors in the young plot that rejuvenates the brain, yeah. right? And one of the factors are actually called TIMP tissue, uh, um, you know, inhibitors of metal proteinases. And again, they act on the extra matrix. And that's one of the factors that re rejuvenates the brain, which is mm -hmm. interesting. But you made a really good point uh, there. You know, uh, you know what is, what is in the matrix that would dictate cell identity? And so that other work, other people have done wonderful work there where you could say you take a, you know, adipogenitor precursor cell. So this is a cell that could make fat or, or, or muscle tissue, right? And you put them on different surfaces, on very soft ones or very hard surfaces, just putting on different type of surfaces, right? That's the only difference. And depending on the surface they are, they start becoming either fat cell or a, a muscle cell. So, and and, and that, that's interesting, right? It really deter, it says, you know, the the physical entities of the environment detects dictates what the cell will become in cell differentiation. And it also makes mm -hmm. sense because different tissues in us have different stiffness, right? Bones are much stiffer than you know other other tissues, right, for example. What do you um, we recently had Michael Levin on and he was talking about bioelectricity and this the some really interesting stuff that he's discovered and how he can take like a like some some cells that were of an eye and put it in like of the back of a frog's like a back of a frog and then like the spine actually connects to the eye and develops an eye like it it co-ops tissues around it to start developing eyes and stuff um what do you what do you think of that type of work in, in terms of like it's, yeah it's beautiful i mean I'm, I'm a neuroscientist by training so i'm very you know neurons how use electrical signals right and you know, I have my my theory. Like every scientist, they have their own hypothesis and theory. And so, what I I think is going on, I, you know, I never actually talked to him, and I, I should do this because um, so when he does this, he, he sees that actually these channels open up and different um, ions come in, right? Uh, I think calcium signal has changed there as mm -hmm. one of the things. And yep. when we look at, in our research, when we look at the exomatrix and look at the different stiffness and the different compositions, we look at the downstream signal, like how does the cell sense this, right? And it comes to a similar signaling cascade there. And I wanna talk to him and ask him like, you know, different factors we found, whether those ones are also important for determining these kind of things. Uh, for example, um, we've done uh, work there to figure out that actually the mechanical forces changes the, the gene expression in the nucleus, right? So outside of cell changes the gene expression. And there's a factor called YAP1 from the hippo signaling. That's really important for that one. And I could think, and also that's, you know, sometimes, uh, you know, there are some other factors that are depending on these ion channels, right? And so it's just so much coincidence that I think there might be something that, you know, what he looks at the electrical signaling, right? He can just, puts it around from, from a different level, right? Instead of mm -hmm. the cell sensing it, he just hits the switch already, right? It's like, you know, hitting the, the light switch directly instead of having something that starts then to hit the switch. It, does the, um, oh, and uh, afterwards, uh, let me know. And if, if you don't, I can see if I work on an intro between the two of you, but um, the, 
because science we need to support each other but uh, but but i'd love to help that conversation happen because uh it does does sound kind of weird if if, like everywhere you go it's um i think there's like a trans i don't i don't know if that like this is the term that's coming to mind but it's called like transpermia where like uh in a star trek episode there was just humanoids everywhere and they started realizing that there was like an ancient civilization that like like uh, uh dropped the the dna that built the building blocks that allowed like humanoid figures to exist so if you see like human humans everywhere it's kind of it, it's it's a weird thing if, if you go out in the universe you see well it's there's a human there's a human there's a human granted like you know i, I think it's you know it, actual exact reason is like the we uh the prop department only has so much but and we're humans that are doing the acting but um like that is weird you know if everyone's seen like these really weird phenomena like it, it's definitely something to, to explore does that does michael michael's work uh influence how you look at what you're trying to do if if he if he's a light switch and you're at the cellular level um does the light switch influence uh your understanding of the signaling which would then help have give you a better understanding of the matrix i mean you know in the end i think everything is connected in a sense right and it's pretty difficult um I just give you I answer that question in a different way. The way I think mm. about this, this, what we do in science. Um, so there's a very classical pictures of um, seven blind monks, and they investigate an elephant, right? Ah. And so they investigate the elephant from all different sides, right? One mm-hmm. is touching the trunk and describes it, right? One is touching the foot, one is touching, you know, uh, you know, the tooth. One is touching another thing, and everybody describes describes the same thing differently, right? And so I think that's that's what's going on. I mean, the real challenge is really to take all this and then come up with, you know, the elephant itself, right? And 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 that that would be that would be overall goal. And I think biology is getting there. But the, again, there's the theory of biology is just coming, right? I mean, we just way behind physics or or other disciplines, right? And it'd be really cool to either mathematically describe this, right? To put this all together, because that mm-hmm. would be one language that could be universal. Um, but we're not there yet. Um, and at the moment, these are just you know, loose associations, right? And wild connections. And um, um, that would be super interesting to show. I mean, you have to go step by step to to map this out. Like, you know, the, the toothed elephant, this same thing, but, you know, the trunk, right? It's just... Mm-hmm. I don't know how to solve that problem, but <laughs> that would be cool. Do, uh, I think we should do more on, sorry, I think you should do more on theoretical biology, I think. So I I, I, I like it in a sense because mm-hmm. it's it's so wild to think about it, right? Uh, uh, what's what's an example of theoretical biology that you think about? I don't, I don't like, so, I don't get into, I, I don't know anything about it. So you, like, this is a window into, into your heart. And so that I can, I can go and research it more. Uh, so, you know, I, I work a lot of with, with, with systems biology in a sense, right? Trying to different th- connect different things. And I think the work that I like the best, because I try to think it from the other side, um, is, you know, thinking about aging itself. And, and it's a multifaceted problem in, in a sense, right? And, and you can start coming up with, with these um, relationships between, you know, age and then and and you know you have age here and, and frailty here how frail you are so you get to so get this you start getting these relationships in, in in together 
And from there, we can start building theories how how things age in in a sense. It's a little bit complicated, and uh, you see me like very loosely defining because it's haven't crafted in in a way mm-hmm. I was hoping it. But one thing that it's really cool to look at it's uh, Uri Allen's work in in mm-hmm. Israel. Uh, he has a there's a wonderful video about it, and he connects it so beautifully from the systems biology, the theory of aging to the drug discovery, right? With these theories you build, you measure, you quantify a lot of things, you measure it, you build the model. And he was actually able to do the next step to actually predict um, for a drug target, right? So to change things, for example, in fibrosis, which is, you know, something that's bad with the exome matrix or the conscience and happening. And, and, and he was predicting them just targets, like an autocrine loop there to target uh, with pharmacology. And so it's just beautiful. So it was the whole thing started by, you know, putting cells in, in, into dishes and measuring different, different ratios of cells. So you have um, fibroblast skin cells and, and immune cells, you put them together in different ratios, you get different outcomes, but you can also quantify this and start building models, right? And and from there, he just took the next step going into the molecular and into the, the signal construction and, 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 and connect this all this way. So it's beautiful work. So I recommend everybody check it out. Mm-hmm. I'm definitely uh, going to do that later today. Uh, um, what do you think uh, a lot of these systems when we're talking about um, learning and making hypotheses, uh, I'm really struck by what's machine learning, uh, AGI potential, and uh, like these chat GTP type things, these uh, large language yeah. models. Do you uh, are, are you interested in them or, or do you see them playing into your work already? Like, uh, what, what do you think about them? I think uh, it's playing to everybody's work, right? In that way you look at it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and there's like, there's like alpha fold with proteins, right? Like they're everywhere. Exactly. Exactly. And so, so we used alpha fold in the lab as well, because, mm. you know, some of these uh, exomatrix proteins, it's very hard to, to figure out how they look like. And if you, if you see the structure, right, from the geometry, you can, dict, you know, geometry detects function. So you could, uh, you know, think about the function, you see it there. Um, so you said before, we use, um, we use machine learning for um, drug discovery, actually. And so we, 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 you know, we try to train the machine to, you know, figure out how, how does a molecule look like that uh, induces longevity, right? Mm-hmm. And then we, we come up. So we've done this um, just recently, and we found the mTOR inhibitor, which mTOR is a kinase that's very important for in growth and in aging. So we designed with machine learning a new mTOR inhibitor and, and went to the classical route um, to, to show actually that, you know, you know we synthesized the molecule, um, we um, went on and looked in cell culture, inhibit uh, cancer growth, and then we looked in cell against these little round worms. When you feed it to them, to, to, uh, they were able to increase the lifespan. And also what we've done there is you can do also the modeling with the with the machines, right? So like where, 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 where's the dogging? Where is that happening to the protein? It's really fascinating. To me, it's really fascinating in a sense. And I see this as a new way to screen in a sense. Because I, you know, I've done a lot of genetics, genetic screens or pharmacological screens. And for me, this is just a screening system in the computer. 
And with every screening system, then you have the next step, you have to somehow validate it, right? And 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 to us, since we're interested in, in aging and, and, and longevity, um, we want to have an in vivo system and to feed it. So we use synthesize this, feed it to C. elegans, because C. elegans, you know, first of all, C. elegans eats bacteria, right? So you put the truck on there, so you have a bacteria truck interaction. So you already, you know, bacteria can metabolize the trucks, right? So you have that part. And then the whole thing is eaten up by, by C. elegans that, you know, it has to go to the intestine and from the intestine has to go to the target tissue where you want to do. And so it has, has a long journey, right? So then mm -hmm. you can see immediately, is it toxic? Does it any side effects? And then we, we, we look at aging and lifespan and lifespan is such a complicated phenotype if you think about, right? To slow aging. So mm -hmm. if that all works, then we know, okay, we predicted something useful with the machine that actually has a chance to work in vivo. Uh, and so the short answer is, I think these these machine learning things are super great. They're new tools. You have to learn them because if you if you're not, you're going to be overrun. Um, mm. But you also have to find a way to validate whatever the machine tells you, what predicts in in any way, right? So you have to have the the ground truth to say, yeah, this is something that's real or or not. Yeah, I think uh, often when people watch the I don't know if you're a fan of Marvel or Iron Man movies. People say that Iron Man's thing is like, oh, the suit or the little like the power of the sun in my hand or whatever. But it's actually it's like Jarvis is like coolest thing because it synthesizes a lot of his ideas or like tests them out. And uh, it, 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 you'd have to like a, have a huge like Manhattan Project worth of team to do what he does by himself in a lab. And I think that's something that um, I like. I generally think his greatest invention is the Jarvis type thing that helps with everything else. And I think that's something that uh, machine learning has the capacity. Like you, you had uh, an idea. You had machine learning. You know, run through this process that normally I don't. Even, I can't even imagine how long it would normally take you to do what you just did. It might take you know years to you know find the right one and you know uh, synthesize it and you know know it's going to work out. That's like. And now you you you've done that in a matter of you know a fraction of the time, and you can develop hypotheses and move forward and have a better understanding of biology from it. That's that's crazy. It, it is really crazy. Think about it. I mean, these are years of work crunched into I don't know minutes or seconds, right? I mean, it's really like it's it's so amazing once you have the the system. I mean, if you have the AI trained, it's just it's amazing, right? I mean, think about all these wet lab screens and you know all the money, and if you can do it in in silico, so to speak. It saves you. I mean, I would say for that uh, paper we put out, the whole discovery part uh, we've done in weeks, which is mm. just like, and that includes uh, setting up the machine, the coding, da, 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 right, the training and stuff like that. But now we just could go, uh, it can go and say like, you know, this is what we want, and then you know the machine will compute. It will get hot. So, so I have to say we had to. Um, at ETH Zurich is very technical university. It's it's like the MIT of Europe, right? It's it's mm -hmm. you know it's very good for for these kind of things. But we were not allowed to crash their servers anymore, so we had we had to build our own little supercomputer <laughs> to run this. So you know sometimes mm -hmm. the the room gets hot when it's really when it's really calculating things. So uh, yeah, but but it's it's an amazing tool, I would say. But is it uh? What what's the logic to build on prem? You know your own servers versus like grabbing uh, AWS. You know compute to do the work. Is it uh, what? Yeah. 
So, so with ETH would have been fine, right? Again, you have to wait to to Kion. Yeah, you can buy those things. It's all fine. Um, it's just uh, we were just much more flexible to to mm -hmm. to change things on the fly, and and, and it's just uh, much easier, right? Um, to do also, we had a lot of data information to put on there. Um, in the end, what's also important is you know if I mean, if you put it up somewhere onto the cloud. How do you know how good your data is protected, right? In a sense, yeah. So that, yeah that's, not, that's not uh, very much. <laughs> yeah, that that's the other thing, right? So it's I think it's worth to to have a, a trusted system, so to speak. Mm -hmm. All right, the when you build, like, I'm I'm really interested in this type of stuff, so I feel like we're <laughs> we're gonna go uh, just explore this for a minute. But the, do you? Uh, do you do the coding? Do you do the uh, building of the networking layer? Or are you like the brain that brings in other people to have a multidisciplinary team that builds I, it? I'm just, I, I'm useless, right? So I'm just bringing <laughs> the people. <laughs> I just, uh, yeah, no, I, again, I'm a more like a biologist, right? Mm. I, I have an idea, I have a vision. And and then I, you know, it's just, uh, you know, there's so much talent around. And so here we collaborate with one of the best machine learning guy. Um, he's, in, he's in Paris and uh, it's a statistician, a mathematician, right? And um, that guy is incredible. So he was doing a lot of the coding and, and yeah, it's just, it's beautiful. If you have the right people, uh, it's just it's beautiful how how things come together, right? And then mm -hmm. to me, I don't understand nothing about the coding, right? I mean, just I mean, I tried uh, once to analyze an army sequencing, right, with with R, and uh, there was all fatal error and stuff like that. <laughs> and so it's like, like <laughs> at the end, I was like, okay, I better not do this. I just mm -hmm. break everything. Uh, so I really have no understanding, but. Um, the good thing is what if you can talk to different people and understand a little bit what 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 the language is um yeah i mean you need so much expert knowledge to do something really good right you have to go so deep nobody can do everything um you know in in that kind of sense yeah the steve wozniak uh for people who know help build I'd say he built Apple, like Apple II, Apple I's, like, he, you know, the personal computers really came from him. Uh, he said that at one point in time, you could know the whole system, but now you can't. You it, it, Things are so complicated that uh, you spent a lifetime just to understand one iteration of a product, and you can't do it anymore. So there's just layers of abstraction uh, for every product that exists, which is, you know, probably wire backdoors and stuff get into products so easily like there's just like a person who didn't know any better and just like had a design system or something that did wrong that was done wrong yeah and it, it gets so complex i mean yesterday i've been sitting in this uh, workshop um, i'm gonna digress now here it was about mm -hmm. information right so um you know personal data so if you, if you walk around if you just take you know google tracker right to do this um timeline uh, google maps right you can you know you can see where you've been right and then yeah. you can see where the information is and so it's just astonishing to me how much information is actually shared with with all different things um you know so if you can go to multiple websites like newspapers right and you look at who is actually getting all, all that data and, and you know get this data sold to it that's just that 
universe is so complex. I was struck yesterday just seeing all this, right? All these different um, third parties or, or brokers or anything. It's just like, I mean, you can scroll down for minutes just to see like, you know, just you access and website, what's all happening in the background. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's a system that now got super complicated. Uh, and to me, Personally, it would be important to figure out, but what, what is happening actually with your information? Um, what are you doing? I mean, what you look at, for example. Mm. Uh, and uh, it's just, again, totally digress, but I think that's another uh, thing, an important um, topic to, to look at. Mm -hmm. No, I, I agree. The, it, it, it's kind of like the Wild, Wild West right now. The it's really it's also really complicated so people who are making laws are really hard to understand it you know if you, if anyone's watched the zuckerberg trial where they were like asking him like what you know uh, you know zuckerberg's not i think the most human of people like he seems kind of like a robot sometimes uh but uh like the lawmakers i think are a little bit behind the ball as well which is kind of sad but um for building a, a supercomputer and actually just on the idea of stop it my phone's going off. Uh, but the the idea of uh, like Twitter and algorithms, like you you can train it to bring stuff to you that you like, which is nice. But I've also heard that uh, like apps like TikTok apparently just like they're like grabbing everything to get a sense of what you like and then feed it to you. So they're looking at your Google Maps, they're looking at what you do, where you go. Which you know sometimes I'll, I'll say like pizza. Oh wow, well, I want a pizza, and then like guess what? All I'm seeing in ads from that on. That means someone's listening actively. You know, some system, and I hate that. Like that's so uh, disgusting. So uh, ho I mean, hopefully we go less dystopian because that's kind of dystopian you know, in terms of like yeah, no I, privacy. I, and so the reason why I was doing this workshop is, uh, you know, I'm, I'm interested, you know, I'm in the Institute for Translation of Medicine. So I'm really patient, patient confidentiality, what's mm -hmm. happening with electronic records, right? Also, we we setting up different things, like how would be information stored, how it works, right? And it's just shocking that, you know, it's so hard to secure these kind of things, right? And then it's just what's happening all with, with the data. And and, and, and one thing in Switzerland, what we're trying to do is actually that the patient, they can always request their, their patient records and data, right? And then how you how you get that, how can you collect that, how can you have that electronically, which would be extremely important for, for the next step in, in the aging and longevity field is because, you know, you want to use the machine learning, right, to uh, look at your electronic records and, you know, help with diagnosis of things or, you know, have uh, on-time tracking, maybe with Apple Watch or something like that, right? And that tells you, you know, you should drink some water now or, you know, it helps mm -hmm. you like on, on a personal side. And that that's the that's the whole goal. And that would be also the power, right? Yeah. Using artificial intelligence for medicine and especially for longevity medicine, right? To to stay healthy, to look at your to look at your blood pressure or, you know, whatever monitoring you do, right? But it's so difficult to integrate all these information. That's why we we're looking at to integrate all this information because you could use Google Maps, see like how how much you walk or you know those steps, right? And you want to as as a person, you want to integrate this for your health benefits, right? In the end, and also uh, you know the idea is the incentive to also get interests interest in them because you could stay much more healthier, right? Mm -hmm. um, with these kind of things, but. It's so difficult, and it's already such a universe of of things you don't understand. So you map this one; it's going to be extremely hard. 
Yeah. In the U.S., I was talking to a CEO of an insurance company, which will remain nameless, the, uh, who was bought out by another insurance company, which is a giant one, that uh, the the data from the first company on com- uh, on customers, the the parent company that the new parent company that bought them couldn't access the data. So they couldn't they couldn't aggregate the data into a new data lake to then do stuff on top of it, like, you know, machine learning or just like make it easier to hand people out. Like that's, I mean, the US is pretty weird, but like records and all these different things, like whenever I'm having like a medical issue or whatever, and they're like, oh, they're being slow with the records. Like I get it, you know, you're probably hitting some like Dr. Seussian thing and like you're jiggling a handle and you're hoping it comes out, you know, it's like, cause like it's like, it's a, like a, it's a labyrinth. Like you don't really know what's going on. Like, and systems are either legally can't talk to each other or like through bureaucratic, whatever, can't talk to each other. So it's, it's a wild, wild west the, um, for, for your supercomputer. So like if someone wanted to build, let's just say like, you know, I'm, I'm learning machine learning. Actually I have a textbook on that side. I'm, I'm learning this cause it's actually really exciting. And there's some tools I want to build to save my time. But um, if someone wanted to build themselves a, a supercomputer, like you did, is like is this like prohibitively expensive or does like a university need to like come and be like to take care of it so uh let me put this I, in Switzerland things are expensive so i mm. spent uh twenty five thousand on it um just just to build it so this it is a lot of money um i mm. think if you understand and and you know i mean uh, my postdoc he was really good putting these all things together right it could have been much more much more expensive <laughs> than that yeah. um and also ETH, you know, you have great engineers, so you have help on that side because you, in theory, it, it should work, but it doesn't work. And there's a lot of fiddling around till, until, until it works. Um, could you do it for less? Uh, maybe. I think 25 and, and is also, pretty reasonable. That's pretty reasonable okay. for a supercomputer, yeah. Okay. And we also got a grant from NVIDIA, right? So they also supported us uh, with, you know, some, some graphical. I mean, the hardest is to, to get those those cards right because you know they're mm. not yeah, they're gold that was the yeah they're gold yeah, now the, there's this long waiting time that was that was i think the hardest part yeah i feel um, like it's uh it's like i, I almost wish like the like the com- like companies are to some extent dictating uh like priorities you know if like if a company was to say like all right research institutions like yourself get first go of these things so then we can have better medicine and all these other things coming out um That'd be pretty cool, but you know, it's more likely like first come, first serve. But I, I do like the idea that, you know, if, you know, uh, but at the same time, it's kind of like once again, a company's dictating what you could build and then it dictates what other people can build. If there is like some type of like weighted measure in terms of like who gets these parts, but because they are scarce, there's like an element of like, there's there's a value hierarchy of like who can get these things but so it's 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 fantastic that you you got one and i would love to play with it sometime but i know i'm I'm probably like i'm not allowed to um but uh so that's that's really cool so for uh jumping you know like slowly moving back to uh c elegans um for can you tell us like what a c elegant is and then like how how translatable either historically or that you've seen uh to its systems to human systems yeah, so I start. I start then. I start now with humans, right? I mean, hmm. you know, I, the the end goal is to, uh, you know, to inform human biology. Um, and nowadays, we have much more. We have better tools, right? We can we can measure the gene expression. We can measure the protein. We can measure your metabolites. We can measure a lot of things, right? Um, and you know, th- the thing is, of course, you cannot do experiments with humans. 
might have from the bad thing from the scientist perspective. Also, aging takes just too long, right? If I yeah. would wait uh, 80 years and see the outcome of an experiment, well, you know, kid do one maybe, right? Maximum. And now I'm already too old to do this, right? Um, so, so then you need, so what we do, we take all these omics systems called systems biology, right? We take the information from there, we come up with different correlations and these correlations uh, lead to hypothesis, right? And mm -hmm. as you know, um, the correlation is not causation. So it looks really good. It's tight correlation, but you have to prove somehow, right? And yeah. so that's the reason why we use the elegance because the elegance is, is, is a beautiful system. So it's, it's one millimeter in size. Um, these things are hermaphrodites, so they can fertilize themselves. So they are like twins. So it's like mm -hmm. having all a human twin study, right? So they're genetically identical, the same genes, which makes it a lot easier. And then they eat the same food. They live in the same environment, right? So you could you can control that everybody eats the same thing. Like everybody's a vegan or everybody eats only meat or everybody, you see what I mean? So that that's controlled. So you have the genetics controlled, you have the diet controlled, you have the environment controlled, right? And then the good thing is they live around, you know, three weeks. And, mm -hmm. and so you can do an experiment within a month. Now um, you can also double the lifespan of these animals, and then they live, you know, two months. But that's still in a time frame, right? And so we love to use that system as a pioneering system, like a litmus test to first mm -hmm. see, like you know, whatever gene mutation um, is associated with with longer lifespan or which drug there because then and then we like to do this in an automated system where basically we um we have scanners and maybe i can show you this because i just um let me show you how they look like the scanner so you can see you can see this in, in a sense um, the matrix is back the matrix is back <laughs> so this is a, you know mm -hmm. um in that paper i think we had a video in there Hmm. So oh. here the picture here. All right. Oh, cool. So what you so what you hear. So so these are these little sealgans, right? Mm -hmm. And so they feel, they are on these little plates. And you put those plates in these scanners here, right? Mm -hmm. And those scanners take a, a video every every hour, right? And so we have wow. two machines there. We have 16 scanners. So we can we can run the lifespan of like 10,000 animals at the same time, right? And then we have different interventions. You can do everything. Um, you just have to set it up, put it in there. The machine takes, uh, you know, a picture every hour. And then after the end, after after two months or three months, you get the data. There's a lot of data crunching because you have to analyze all those pictures, right? Mm -hmm. uh, but technically, then you get the, these lifespan curves that look mm -hmm. something like that, right? So there's slow type, and then these are longevity interventions. And then you can do all these cool statistical analyses. Um, um, and do those interventions. So this, this should, yeah, I think that's mm. what I wanted to show. And yeah, I mean, if you talk about uh, privacy concerns, th these people have no privacy. These little elegants, <laughs> they watch their entire life. And, and <laughs> so the other joke. thing, I, yeah, the other thing I have to mention is that, that no, this is an important point, right? Because um, the next step we do, we go then whatever we find, we go to mice, right? And then in mice, mm -hmm. the lifespan takes three years. Right, so it's a hard time to find a PhD student because PhD student wants to finish around three and a half to four years, right? So we have a shorter point, but in mice you need a lot of ethical permissions, right? And and so again, C. elegans is great because there is it's not considered an animal, so you could do whatever you want to it. 
So you need no ethics permission. You can do high throughput screening. Well, whatever you find there, you narrow down and, and move it forward. Um, mm -hmm. The other cool thing is that you can put them into microfritics. I'm not sure whether that video is going to be uh, any informative, but uh, if you see these little uh, things in there, these are CLGANs, and we can turn on acoustic for, uh, waves and they just dropped in there and we can measure then how strong they are, right? So we can do mm. uh, a muscle force thing. So you can, yeah, you use microfritics, so like these little channels. So it's just, you can really automate uh, and have really cool things and you can measure, you can quantify their health span, how long, they, how strong they are and all those things you want to do, right? Um, how they move. Yeah. And, what and is... also when they're old. For example, here, um, you know, oh no, this goes too long. Uh, for people listening, we're seeing a video of some wiggly worms. Uh, I forgot to describe what were, was happening at the same time for people just listening in. We're seeing wiggly worms, we're seeing the system, it, it looked like boxes, petri dishes, etc. And we're seeing graphs um, of a paper. And uh, if I remember, I'll, I'll link it in the show notes. Yeah, and then here you can, um, if I get the video to work. Mm. So basically, yeah, there were, ah, it's, it's wiggling, it's wiggling so, on the top so, right. There so you go. Now there, there's acoustic wraith, and you see this one is an old worm. Um, and oh. you see all these wrinkles, right? It's just yeah, a, it's gnarly. old wrinkly, right? And then yeah. on the other side, this is this is a longevity interventions, and so it's day 29, so they like very close to death already. The, the wild type worms are shown here, but then the longevity invention, they're just still strong. They try to move against the force wow. field. So it looks like a baby two, one, like a young one. Yeah, it's it's two standing waves, right? It's uh, So it's you can combine physics and biology, which I love to do. And the other ones, now the force field is off. It's, it starts to recover, right? It's a little bit wrinkly. It's really old. It just doesn't move so much. Same age, just a genetic mutation makes it youthful again, right? And so that that's the power there, right? You can really then start to to quantify all these things. Um, yeah, and, and both, so of, it, both of those right at late stages of their lives, because you said they last about four weeks and they're at day 29. And the, yeah. the one on the right for people who were just listening, it, it looked like just like it could be a teenager. It was, you know, hopping around, you know, had a hot rod driving around or whatever. And the, the old one was just like, I hate being alive and had like a cane, it was moving so slow. Exactly. And so then, then we use whatever you, whatever you predict in the machines or from whatever you do, right? When, uh, we can then try to really test in that system as a first path mm. and also look at how to stay young and then move forward in mice. And the next step in mice is then actually take old mice, so 20 months old mice. Um, and then for six months, we assess how how good they are, like a doctor would do, like, you know, what's the crib strength? How does the hair look? Is it gray? Does it have kyphosis? Uh, you know, how does it move? And other stuff. So they are like free clinical parameters. Are called. It's called the frailty. Like, you know, all people are really frail, right? You can measure that also in mice. And then look where the interventions we found in, in the computer, then in Seagans validated, and then move it forward. Um, whether uh, that works in, in mouse, and then you have a pretty good chance that hopefully it also works in humans, right? So that's that's then the next step. Hmm. Um, it's, it's fascinating. I, 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 I've been wondering if there's a way to like uh, artificially make rats, you know, have a shorter lifespan so you could do faster research on them um, without giving them a disease. Uh, so then you could have the same type of rapid re uh, rapid uh, uh testing and then make it a little happier for uh, phd students i guess 
but uh yeah so so their disease is called procheria so the lift shoulder mm. right uh, it's not the natural aging process yeah. itself and there are other people that try to make systems like this in in mice again it doesn't confound it's not the natural aging process it, itself and yeah. so somehow you need to find i mean what is cool and new and uh, one way to overcome this are these uh killifish so these are fish that live for you know three four months because they're in africa they live in these ponds that dry out right so for a short time for and, and so those ones are uh, vertebrates right and more closely to it and and that's the new system that's actually set up now to to look at these things that to have a closer so the gap of translation is not so high from whatever mm -hmm. model organism go to to humans right um and so yeah people trying to come up with new new systems so to speak again biology is so complex you need to um find something i mean the, the dream would be to do this all in organoids right having mm -hmm. human organoids and 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 have a way to model aging but again it's in cell culture, aging is it's just different, right? And then you have it's into organ specific. So you would have organs on chip, all different organs of a human on a chip to, to do this. You have the brain organoids, you have testnet organoids, you have, you know, whatever. Then you put some immune cells in there. I mean, people are trying to work on this. And and if that uh hits off, that would be fantastic to study actually human biology. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've seen stuff coming out of uh you UW, I forget the which one. There's one in Chicago, and then there's the VIS in Boston. They they, they uh, came out with some chips, but it's usually like a localized chip, uh, a biology chip, where it's like um like they're replicating the uterus or they're replicating a kidney function. They're not a they're not systems integrated together, which is it it um well maybe like one day they could build up to it. So it's good that they can do one thing, but then how do those uh, systems uh, interact with other systems? Also has like a play into it as well. Exactly. Um, there's yeah. a lot of things going on, but you know, I mean, big pharma companies already recognize this. For example, Roche in in Basel, Switzerland, they built this Institute of Human Biology, and they're using human organoids to do this, right? So uh, Roche recruited uh, Hans Clevers, right, one of the forefathers, right, of of of, of organoids, and and also then uh, Matthias Lütolf, right. And so that's fantastic to see that you know um, you know their movement in in that science right to do this exploratory research in there to to get it to the next level. So I think there's one of the future things lying there. It's a lot of work ahead, right? Mm -hmm. um, and uh, and to me, unfortunately, the Excel matrix is very hard to model in the organoids. So uh, mm. I watch it closely, right? I would love to to jump into it. It's just not there. Yeah, it's just too far away. <laughs> Mm. for me but it will it will is there a, a component or aspect of the extra matrix that is difficult for these organs on a chip to to track or to to replicate yeah because you know it's so so you know you have different cell types in a tissue and every cell type makes a different part of the matrix and it's secreted mm. it comes together it's just you know it's a very dynamic system and that hasn't been really like figured out in 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 a detail that you know reflects in the vivo system itself and and, that, mm. and that's the problem i mean the amazing thing is that you can take uh say cells skin cells and put it into 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 welts right and 
you know, they their job is actually to squeeze collagens, and they will do this all the time. They secrete collagens, but since there's so much liquid, it just goes everywhere. Mm-hmm. If you crowd the system with with big sugars, right, and the collagen stay closer to the cell surface, then exomatrix starts to build. So they start building. You know, the collagens will start to integrate. This builds the matrix. It, it grows, right, and then there's a remodeling process happening within like six days. It starts remodeling and starting to adapt. So a fat cell makes a different extra matrix than than a skin cell, right? Mm. And it's just it's 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 amazing to see. And 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 to me, you know, that was actually you know I've been trying to play around with then again, but again, then the modeling part of aging is the problem. But what I yeah. took away from there is actually that there was a saying in the extra matrix field that you know every cell makes their own extracellular matrix, right? And I was like, okay, but you know, nobody has really shown this, right? And nowadays with this single cell sequencing, right? I was thinking if that's really true, then you could take single cell sequencing data, right? And predict cell type just based on the extracellular matrix. And so hmm. I got together with um, with an old friend of mine, um, Patrick Chop at the University of Basel. And we looked at lymph development, so in, in mouse and in chick, and he had the single sequencing data and doing development. And what was clear is that when the cells are less developed, less differentiated, the, the exome matrix, and we're talking about around 150 genes, right? We just use, right? It's not so a good predictive factor, but the more it gets, you know, the, the cells that get differentiated, the better predictive factor has the exocell matrix. So from the whole transcriptome from single cell sequencing, the exocell matrix around maybe 2% of the transcriptome. And that 2% is sufficient to say which cell type it is. So we can mm-hmm. predict just on the, expre- just on the whatever exocell matrix gene is expressed, we can say, well, this is, you know, this is gonna be fat cell, this is gonna be a muscle cell, this is gonna be this cell, right? Which is which is amazing. So basically the exocell matrix mirrors uh, the cell identity. So you can mm. use this as a readout. What is also what's interesting to see is actually that it mirrors development to stages in the cell. So we can say what, what stage it is. And mm. and I took this a little bit further and thinking about, you know, there were people like Alexandra Napa that were saying that, you know, you can predict cancer type just based on the exomatrix composition, right? Um, and so in the end, I put this all together and, and I called this the uh, matriotype. So really the composition of the exomatrix can, you know, that is caused or associated by, by a phenotype or by cell identity or by, you know, health of the disease, right, or, or longevity. And, and we use this actually for, for drug prediction. Um, and so the... Um, Maybe I show this real quick. If that's that, that's one thing we learned. Um, let me show this real quick, because that came out of these these very theoretical, theoretical biology thinking, right? To just mm-hmm. look at things and combine it, right? And so, so what we've seen is that we can actually. Uh, so what we've done, we've took the whole. Um, expression of of different tissues in humans right mm-hmm. and just said what is an old exomatrix expression and what is a, a young one right mm-hmm. and so we have a signature how a young exomatrix 
should look like, right, in, in, in any tissues. And then we overlay this with drugs, uh, a gene expression. So you can give a drug to, to a cell and it gives you a gene expression, right? And we ask which hmm. drugs have a young matrix gene expression. And we, uh, we identified 180. And then we went on and, and used the elegans to actually um, do the lifespan, right? We predicted different drugs and see you know, whether they could actually extend the lifespan. That's shown here, for example, in black, that's the control. Uh, we can feed chrysine uh, as, as a part or dapson or vitamin E, vitamin B12, and it increases lifespan. So basically we were able to repurpose in drugs that are out there for other things or supplements um, to really predict these are have longevity benefits, right? Mm. Uh, and, and that was, you know, that that's one way in there. And it, it you know, it, it, it really is, um, it's amazing to see that there is, you know, such a predictive power in there, not only for, for the cell type or disease type uh, a cell is, but also whether it's reprogrammed for longevity, right? Mm. Yeah, the, um, I'm wondering what would, what would this type of um, process look like in correlation with my, Michael, like he's getting like uh, his ears must be ringing, but like Michael Evans' work, where uh, with the bioelectricity, or if you combine those, the, the, your your two approaches while looking at like an axolotl limb regeneration, I'm, I'm very, very, um, I'd be very interested to see like what would come of that. I mean, the correlation, not causation and stuff, but I'm just curious, like what hypothesis we could uh, generate from uh, what that would look like. Um, what what is the future of your work, like when you when you when you do this research, is it your contention to uh, build out theses that people could translate into drugs? Uh, is it is it is it is it the purpose to uh, build out understanding that people can then build off of to make drugs and innovation inventions that help people um, and be like the you know the idea maker? Or how do you see yourself and your research moving forward? Like, what's your ambition mm, for yourself? So, I so, guess. So, yeah. so I have to. Yeah. No. No. I have two things that are close to my heart. One, one is mm -hmm. to, um, you know, I was I went into biomedicine because I'm interested to bring something good to the people, right? That's where I started actually my journey in 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 my studies, right? So that was always my goal to to apply it in a sense. On the other sense, I love to think about things to do the theory aspects, right? And mm -hmm. at the moment, the extra matrix part is really geared to drug discovery in a sense, mm. right? So that is the end goal. Like, you know, you know, I was looking for a mechanism that is understudied in 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 the aging and longevity field, right? And then really try to figure out the mechanism. And I think now after seven years, we have a really cool observation that we made. So we found actually that, you know, those changes in exome matrix are, you know, read out by these physical, you know, physical change in stiffness, right? A forced transduction and changes gene expression in nucleus is called mechanotransduction in a sense, right? So we've seen that these longevity interventions really, you know, require mechanotransduction. It's like an override signal. So you don't mm -hmm. get any longevity benefit, right? So, so that, and we try to dissect, you know, very explorative, what are the different players there in the pathway? And we map, map this out. So we really have mechanotransduction that's signaling downstream to the CIAP, uh, Transsexual co-activator then you know helps then reprogramming of, of the cell, right? And so that would be one way of a truck target there to move this forward. And so I think that is just an understudied field with with the great potential, right? And so we really try to find um trucks in a sense to to mm -hmm. move it forward, right?
Um, the second part is just like, you know, you know I like to uh, debunk different things. And so, um, you know, there's, everybody's in the field there and say like, you know, we want to find these interventions, but when do you want these interventions to work? I mean, to me, I would love to be like 75, right? And then mm -hmm. start to use this intervention. But there's no evidence that it ever worked in, in an old organism, right? So, because most studies are done actually in, in young young organism or middle-aged organism, right? But nobody has done these things when, when the organisms are su super old. And so I'm just going to show this one because I think it's it's mm. easier to to um, to understand. And this time I tried to make a better job explaining. Let me see if mm. I can show things and else explain it. And so that's that's another paper. And so um, for to 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 get at this question, so there were technical challenges. That's what in the beginning we were saying with the method. So we had to develop a new method, and the method here. So this is. A little bit engineering, so please stay with me there. Um, was was a system. It's called the oxygen uh, degradation system. That's a that's a system that's used in plants. And we mm. tackled one important gene. That's the insulin IGF one receptor. That has been shown. If you have a mutation in that particular gene, you can double the lifespan of the organs, right? And so, mm. uh, because if it's a mutation, the problem is that it's always there, right? It's not like, it's not, you cannot just switch it on at the old age, right? There's mm. another way to do it. It's called uh, RNA interference. You knock it down, but that only works till day six of adulthood. So very, uh, only early, you know, early adulthood, say when you're from, you know, from a teenager till you mid 20 or, or, or 30 or something like that, right? But we wanted something that's super, super old. So, mm. so, you're thinking about this system, this oxygen degradation system, and basically how it's how it's working is that um, you you know you tag your international one receptor with this sequence called Degron, and if you um, have in the cell another protein called TL1, it will go to this Degron only if oxygen is a plant hormone when it's there and mm -hmm. starts to polyupigenate it, so it attacks it. it it attacks that protein for degradation. And then the system will come and then degrade the whole protein. And so that works very well inside of the cells. So within 30 minutes, the protein is just gone. So basically, so think about the cell, right? You can actually just give that uh, hormone to the cell, this plant hormone, and it will just degrade your protein within, 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 you know, in, in 30 minutes. And so, mm -hmm. That was the basic idea, and honestly, I first thought they will no, will never work because it's a transmembrane protein. Um, but you know, you should never talk yourself out of an experiment. And yeah. also, the student was very persistent, and and I just didn't want to talk about it. But it worked, so we were able to do this. So we were able to to decrease this, and so what we can do this now, right? We can we can decrease it, and I want to show you. That's the key experiments I want to show you here. So. But you see here, this is the, the uh, lifespan plot. On, on the y-axis, you have the population life, 100%. And on the x-axis are the days. So here, 20, 40, 60 days. Mm -hmm. And so in plaque, is just you know the, the wild-type control. So you see they live around a little bit more than 20 days, 30 days, everything is done. Good. And then you can actually then 
um, use the Dagon system and, and, and degrade the insulin receptor, and you see this is the longest curve. So they live almost past the day the, the 60. So we're able to double the lifespan. So this is all nice. It works right when they're young. Mm -hmm. Now we ask, what, could you push out the system here? And so here, I don't know if I can make this bigger. No, this, oh, so, I actually went bigger. I'm like, yeah, earlier. this time works. Different journal, yeah. right? <laughs> and oh no, this is the wrong picture. We looked at which, which you can also do a tissue specific. Sorry, mm -hmm. too, excited, so, too fast. Yeah. One figure. So we can also figure out what tissue it is. That's not the figure I wanted. So this one I wanted. All right. Now, again, yes, same game plan. But now we're going to start uh, when they're very young with oxygen treatment, right? And then mm -hmm. with, with the days, so um, in, in dark blue, so the control animals, when they don't get this the auxin treatment or degradation of the insulin receptor, they live again for, you know, 25 days or mean lifespan, and then by 30 days, everything is dead. We do it when they're very young, you get a maximum extension. Again, you'll go up to almost day 60 again, right? You get this doubling, right? Mm. And then you can do at day seven, um, which works very nicely. And then it gets even more and more. And so even day 14, you start day 16 and day 20, mm. right? And you see, I mean, the population is dead. They're all dying, right? And you give it. And here, this is what I want to show you. And that that's the part, this was the, the killer experiment, right? Uh, and so what you see here, so these are the animals. And at day 20, one of adulthood, right? Uh, yeah, what you can see, 75% 75% of the population is dead. So they all died, mm -hmm. right? So it's only 25% surviving. The worms that don't that don't get the oxygen to create insulin receptor, they die within four days. But day 25, from day 21 to day 25, all of them are dead. The last 25% mm -hmm. died. The worms we're going to give uh, the oxygen to, right? What you can see is actually this this increase, and so they goes past day thirty, it goes past day thirty five, and there's one that's uh, twenty. You know, it's you know almost another. So if they start twenty one, it's almost hitting the forty mark. So that worm was able to almost double the lifespan, which is if you think about it, remarkably, remarkably, yeah. because like some of them actually were able close to death, really close to death. We do this intervention. We decrease insulin receptors. We were able to double the lifespan. Yeah, it's weird. And and it, it's 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 so cool. And we're trying to now figure out like how is that possible, right? Is mm -hmm. is, is 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 what's happening here? Is it actually that you know aging is stopped or extremely slowed, right? So in in a sense, right? And they just age slower. Are they rejuvenated? You could think out. It's a one-time. It's just a one-time treatment, right? You could think yeah. like okay, Zach is like the Yamanaka factors. If they rejuvenated and then they live for another, you know, 21 days, right? Because that's normal lifespan. It said it's like they have their whole life again. And so we're trying to um, figure this out. And we do this with a collaboration with a lot of different labs. So, so this finding yeah. has been reproduced by many different labs. And we're trying to debunk what, what is happening, right? What, what, is, what is repaired? Um, mm. I can tell you already that some proteins that aggregate with age, they actually, you know, these aggregates are remodeled out. So, so get mm. loose, uh, you, you get rid of them, right? But not all the things work. So, you know, sometimes you improve swimming, how good, good to swim. Other times, um, it's not working. So, French pumping, how much they eat, it's not going to be tuned. So, there's certain parts that are 
uh, improve to urinate. Some parts are just slowed down or not, you know, not, not get worse. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we trying to dissect this, what is actually happening in vivo and very, very old animals. Um, and I think this is, to me, this is really exciting because the, that gives you some insight what we could do, right? I mean, what I have to say, what's not better is they still look old and ugly. <laughs> they're better, they're more stress resistant, they can move better, right? They're more fitter. Uh, so you could imagine like you're 75, you get this intervention, uh, you still look old and ugly, but you must perform <laughs> much better. Like it's like say like a 50 year old or a 40 year old, right? Mm-hmm. And you're more resistant to 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 stress. Uh, uh, but unfortunately, you not you not get uh, beautiful again. Let's mm-hmm. put it this way. Yeah, at least uh, if you're a worm, if you're a worm, right? Let's, let's, <laughs> if you're worm. So yeah. I talk about humans. Let's say this is all in worms, right? Okay. Yeah, they, you do in rats, and they grow out like really long blonde hair, and <laughs> start like looking a little like supermodels or whatever in the rat world. Um, but uh, yeah, that is really weird to look at the graph and see that at that intervention, that it wouldn't, that it like it almost had the same effect if you did it earlier. Because I would think there'd be some type of buildup or you know some type of like senescent buildup that would like okay, you have an intervention, like it, it's, there's there's an uptick, but then it, I would just, it would go right back down, like a, a meteor shower, like just a meteor going right back down. But it, it, it almost like plateaus uh, correlatively to like what happened in the early stages. It look that's just really weird. Like I, I almost always think that there's some level of rejuvenation happening or some level like senescent. Uh, I don't know, get, getting rid of. Um, that, that that is really weird. That it looks odd. Um, I'm very curious to see what comes comes from your work on that because yeah, I would I would assume that there's I would assume like maybe like it added like you know 12 percent or 12 15 percent onto it, which is significant when you're at that that time. But it's like um, it's like when someone's falling. If you try to help someone, they're like an inch off the ground. I wouldn't expect you to be able to pick them up and like get them to move 10 feet when you're just trying to get them to stop from dying. Like it, it's weird that not only did you get them to stop from dying, but you actually moved them. You, you, you got, you gave them like locomotion to move them into the future, like almost doubling them. That is, that's really interesting. I'm I look so happy weird. you think this way. You, you got it, right? That That's the mystery yeah. we're trying to debunk and it's extremely exciting. And you know, mm-hmm. the more people I talk to, right? Something, something they're just resistant to, to dying. Right, because mm. you know, dying is actually also a biological process. Right, um, there are so many things now, ideas you could test. Right, again, this is very on 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 the basic science part, on the conceptual part, because you could learn so much about the aging process itself. And it comes back to the thing you said, you know, with the methods. Right, we developed a method there, or uh, you know, adjusted a method there, and 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 built a system. We could address now these fundamental questions, and I'm really happy to hear you know, from a non-scientist, right? Uh, not thinking about worms to get excited about because, you know, one of the biggest challenges I face, for example, is, you know, what is the relevance to human biology, right? And I have to tell mm-hmm. them, you know, this is more the, the, the theoretical part, right? Think about on theoretical terms that what is the aging process and how can we, you know, reverse or what can we intervene? What, what's happening when we intervene, right? right? It, it just, there's so much biology that can be detected that, we could exploit for later, and who knows? I mean, it might be conserved in humans, it might not, but you learn a lot about biology. And I think to me, as a scientist, um, it's important to produce knowledge. In, in, in mm-hmm. German, the word scientist is called a Wissenschaftler, somebody who produces knowledge, right? And so mm-hmm. this is more on the producing knowledge kind of thing, right? Once you have the knowledge, uh, I mean, 
I mean, even Elon Musk builds these rockets and they, they failed. And he says, well, mm-hmm. you learned something. Right? This building knowledge, right? It's not, mm-hmm. you know. And then you do the next iteration and the next iteration. I think these are these kind of things that, that are needed for translational uh, medicine, in a sense. Um, so I'm really happy you you right, quickly understood and saw exactly the excitement there. And so if anybody wants to work on it, um, we deposit those worms in the system. It's called uh, the CGC, um, where they have a repertoire of worms. So any any research in the world can go and ask for those worms, and they will ship to them. I think it costs them ten dollars. Mm-hmm. It's just a shipping fee um, from the thing, but it's all we we all give it back to Sense, and everybody can can try and um, and try different things and work with it and. Shoot me an email if you have questions or anything like that. But it's all also all decri- described in the paper. So uh, I'm just trying to get more people excited yeah. to because I think it's an important problem to figure out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, uh, I think it, it leads to like a, like an Einsteinian like universal theory of biology. You know, at the end of Einstein's life, he was trying to unify all physics, and it, it feels like uh, with this with what you're doing that. It, it might put another piece of the puzzle in that gives us a better picture of what's going on. And then you can translate that in, in many of other different ways. Um, yeah, it's really compelling. I'm, I'm very uh, interested to see what, what comes from it. The, uh, does, does the, um, I forget the technical term, I think it started with the D, but does it work with all proteins or was it just the proteins that, uh, or specific proteins, the intervention that you described a minute ago? So here we tack- tackle just one protein. Mm. And and it's the it's called DAF2 in silicons, yeah. but it's the insulin HF, HF1 receptor in us. So it's the precursor um receptor, right? Uh, you know, ever she same, but you know, it's distant. It's much silicon is much simpler. So that's also the reason why we use this. So it just combines this one. And it was actually one of the first one um to be discovered. So Cynthia Kenyon has had done this work in 1993, where she's shown that those worms live twice as long compared to mm. others, and they're youthful, right? Also, the worms you saw there in in that video, they're moving, right? These are also these daft immune. So it's just the the right target. It's for C. elegans. It's the right mm. target for C. elegans. It's going to be different for um, for human biology, right? But you know, it's just you know the same if it the same concepts are uh, or mechanisms are reused in evolution over and over again. They built this networks and the circuits and they're just adapted in different contexts and reused right so mm-hmm. if you figure out what to look at and how the interconnections work then you have an easier time to figure out this in a new system yeah i think the uh the like the the crab as a form has been re-evolved in different areas without any association with like a like there's not like one main crab line like the the, the if we see aliens they might all look like crabs because on earth like the crab structure of like the legs and the pincers and stuff keeps getting remade in different areas without any relation to each other. It's just like, oh, this is the great adaptation for that that area, and it just happens to be this form, which is kind of weird. Um, and, but I, and it works, yeah, right? And and, and yeah. one thing I want to mention now, you mentioned the crabs, is just um, you know aging itself. I mean, there's no biological reason why we should age, right? And yeah. it somehow it just happened during evolution that one of our first ancestor cells was aging. So. If you think about single cell organism like bacteria or yeast, right? Single cell, but they also age. 
right? I mean, you think about bacteria or yeast, they just, what they do, they, they crawl and they butt off and then they crawl and they divide and crawl and divide and butt off, right? And, and, and so uh, during that time, the, the mother cell, so to speak, you know, the time you accumulate damage, molecular damage. Mm-hmm. So the mother cell retains that damage and then the, the daughter cell, you know, it's all more youthful, right? And that's mm-hmm. why, because the mother cell accumulates the damage, it starts to age, right? And and somehow um, it just it just happens that aging was there, and we just and it's across it's so so much conserved that you can use these simple systems to find some truth about aging or some concept or, or theories or hypothesis about aging, and then it's mostly applied then to to other systems. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was wondering if the if the intervention that um, we talked about, if they would have any effect on prion disease, where like prions like misfold and like go crazy and like cause problems, which there's no real treatment for that. And it bothers me as someone who has to take a blood product, uh, you know, getting the, like the brain eating disease. Um, uh, but I know we're, we're short on time, so I'm trying to like consolidate uh, a bunch of questions into like two, so I, I can get you out of here without eating up your day. The, um, so what uh, what books would you recommend people check out? I'm all, like, as you can tell, like I'm, I'm trying to look for more things to read. I'll add it to the newsletter yeah. too. Oh, I, I have a passion for books, uh, especially for science and in, mm-hmm. in the aging longevity. As a, at home, I have a huge bookshelf. I don't know. It's that, that's a hard one. I mean. I, that's a hard one from the top it of my head. I would, I would. It doesn't okay, be aging related, just for the right record. It, okay. it, it can be I, anything. I like, okay, so if you're into systems biology theories of aging, Uri Olan has a really good textbook kind of thing for systems biology. That it's very technical, right? In mm. sense. but to me, uh, was fun um, to read. And then, um, I mean, there are lots of books about aging out there. Most of them are, are really good and 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 a fun read. Uh, you know, I also like, you know, I don't know, from zero to one, like stuffing in the startup world, oh, right? I think yeah. About, yeah, I think it's about proms or like uh, that kind of book. Um, mm. uh, I don't know which, yeah, it's too, too, there are too many. I cannot, I mean, you <laughs> yeah. know, also, I mean, George Stewart's uh, Regenesis book, right? I mean, you had them on the mm. podcast. I mean, definitely that is, you know, a classic everybody should read and it, it's eye opening, but what's all mm-hmm. out there. Um, yeah, that, I think these books, I would say. Sweet. And then uh, I'm going to uh, ask one fan question, which there's a bunch that people wrote in, but unfortunately, uh, we got distracted with machine learning and it was exciting, um, which is all good because like we can go down any avenue, but also, you know, uh, don't want you yelling at me for going over. So the, the uh, cell improvement page. Could epigenetic, this is from, man, people have crazy names. Town, Grizzletown? It, we're answering, we're asking your question. Could epigenetic reprogramming of cells somehow improve the extracellular matrix during aging? Yes, um, I think so. Because, you know, if you, so it's linked. Again, if you think of the extracellular matrix, right? So there are this, this network and then it it's holed up by receptors, right? And it's pulled, and so there, there is the acting um, um, cytoskeleton going to the nucleus. And so basically, if you pull on the matrix, you pull on the nucleus, right? Which changes the nuclear envelope and changes the epigenetic landscape. So if that goes wrong with aging the epigenetic landscape, right? If you improve that one, 
it will improve restore cellular function and then it will restore the extra matrix again and then, so you can go both ways to start mm. uh tackling there so yes and it's it's interconnected it's Please. really interesting if you look at electromicrosome photographs right of 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 cells and tissues you cannot tell which one is the out and the inside because it's so crowded and you see all these bundles and only if you see the the cellular the organelles you say that's the inside the outside it's just amazing to see how they interconnected um and i just want to point out again the physical forces have a signaling component in there mm -hmm. and then um the in the next like five to ten years what do you think what advances would you expect to have for your for your life uh for longevity or health span that you're watching what, what do you think people should reasonably expect so what I hope that is going to happen um, are clinical trials uh, for for aging, right? For healthy aging, and so the reason why I say this, I mean, we have now supplements, um, we have some drug candidates, some interactions. Um, particularly, they work really nicely. We know they rejuvenate mice and you know worms and all those stuff, um, but we have no idea whether they work in humans. Even dietary restriction is still un uh, unclear, right? So what I would love to see that we have clinical trials to show first that it's safe, right, in humans and effective. I want to see the efficacy there, right? And that would be wonderful. And I think lots of people are working on there. It's a lot of work. Not so one part of my effort is geared towards that. It's not so easy because aging is not a disease. And what you read out, but it's an exciting field to move forward. And I think that's really important in the next 10 years that we have something like that. And then you can push through those interventions we know that work in in preclinical models and mice and everything, we can also translate to humans and and make sure that we don't do any damage or any harm, that they're safe, less or minimum side effects, so we can calculate. But we know they're effective, so that that they work. Mm -hmm. And then uh, for your work, as the last question, uh, what do you need help with? Is there anything that listeners and myself or anyone uh, can help you with your work? Oh, there's always, I mean, I get, you know, lots of creative people actually contact me and we start discussing things. So I have people actually, you know, coming from from programming side or they're working on airplanes, for example, right? And we start discussing problem and they start moving projects further, further right? So nowadays, even if, if you have a passion for longevity and, and for science, you don't need to be in a lab itself. So whatever you know best, right, can be used, right? In a sense, there are so many problems that need to be tackled. It doesn't even be research. It could be somebody who is interested in, in, in longevity and is a lawyer, right? And then how, how there are so many questions I have, for example, if I, you know, have something, how do I spin this out of a lab? How do I do these, these deals? How do I connect? Because, for example, What's happening, whatever happened in my lab, right? This is on the academic side, whereas the innovation is happening. But in order to move this forward, it has to be spin out out of the lab into a startup, right? And the startup, it has to be further developed, de-risked, and all these furthers. So then that, you know, bigger companies um, from certain companies get interested in, because they see, okay, there's the first proof in humans, right? And then they take this over to move it really forward to translational pipeline, which because it's a long process and it's a big process, right? So we need the, the interaction needs. So those steps need. And so all of those steps, if you see you have a capability to to help, then yes, please. That's you know, not only my lab, there are other labs also, like you know, just 
start the conversation. I think most scientists nowadays, they're really open to talking to different things and, you know, having people involved because we have so many problems <laughs> because you're trying to, to you, you start to build the whole pipeline, right? You start from the beginning, there's so many things you cannot solve. And if you have somebody who has the expertise and wants to to help, it would be fantastic. It is, it, it takes a village, right, in the end. Mm. Sweet. And then uh, links to Colin's website, the places to, you know, read up and potentially reach out will be in the show notes. Uh, Colin, I want to thank you for coming on the show. This has been Learning with Lowell. We've learned a lot today. Uh, any Everyone who's listening, um, say something in the comments. Let, let, us, let us know what you got from this. And if you see the power of what we nerded out about like about seven minutes ago in terms of the intervention late in life and yet still having the effect of, of massive extension, which is weird. Anyone have any hypotheses about why that is? Put that in there. Then, hey, maybe we can test them out. We'll have a bit on this or something. But Colin, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks so much for having me.